Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Well, happy Father's Day, everybody. Maddie, thank you again. For, oh, and Maddie, thank you again for your prayer. Uh, it's... Uh, it's always a beautiful thing to be able to gather in God's house as our Heavenly Father and to recognize that sometimes there are days when we gather when uh, days like Father's Day just hit a little bit differently. And so if you were in one of those spots this year, uh, please know that uh, we're thinking about you and praying for you as well. We are entering into the third installment of our Summer Break message series, which if you can't read the subtitle, it says Breaking from Bad Theology. And the idea, as we mentioned the last two Sundays, is I wanted us to look at some uh, inaccurate and incomplete theology. And so uh, last week we talked about how God helps those who help themselves. And we realized that God is the help. Uh, God wants us to turn to him for help. And so today we are turning our attention to the idea that church is for perfect people. Church is for perfect people. Only perfect people allowed. It seems to me when we enter into this, uh, to start this content... In this culture where we live, primarily with such an emphasis on social media, that it is easy for us to misunderstand or misrepresent our lives as though we live perfectly, right? The perfect family photo, the perfect Thanksgiving meal, the perfect outing at a ball game or a hiking adventure or something like that, right? We, we put our best foot forward. A recent study was done to try to find out how many selfies and spontaneous pictures we take until we find the one that we like well enough to post. You hear the, the joke in that, the spontaneous, right? It is estimated that ladies take six pictures before they find the perfect one to post, Men take four pictures to find the perfect one to post. And so even though there may be a slight difference between the way that people approach posting things on social media, the reality, though, it hopefully strikes us and hits us in the face that we are looking for perfection and trying to put perfection out there, expecting perfection to come our way or expecting people to receive perfection from us. But that's not life, is it? And so what ends up happening when we get on social media and we put our perfect pictures out there of a perfect family and the perfect meal, the perfect vacation, and we start scrolling, we don't get the likes that we think we should get or the comments. We start thinking, well, people obviously don't think of me as perfect as I think I am. And then what happens even worse is we start looking at other people's and we say, oh, wow, their perfection is so much better than my perfection. My perfection will never be able to match what he's doing or she's doing or they're doing as a family. And then we begin to feel worse about ourselves. We don't like to think that we are expecting to be perfect. But the reality is, is that that is very frequently the approach that we take. Even when we are taking chances. I don't mean like 
four pictures, five pictures, six pictures to try to put the right one up there. There is a little bit of hope in that message, and I hope that you hear it and you find it, is that there is a certain amount of striving for perfection that is not only appropriate, I think it's necessary. And one of the reasons I think about this is in my own life, I might have told this story before, but uh, when I was playing Little League, as the kid pitch was taking place and my peers were beginning to learn how to really, really pitch, right, to really throw, I would get intimidated, particularly when I would face pitchers who I went to school with or who I knew, and I would get that analysis paralysis, so to speak, so that if someone was pitching, I actually hesitated some because I would rather fail not trying than fail putting my best foot forward. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you would rather fail not even trying as opposed to failing while putting your best foot forward? And so there were times I would step up to the plate in the batter's box and hope that I would get a walk because I wasn't going to take the bat off my shoulder. I feel badly about that, but I know that it's part of my temperament. I feel badly knowing that's how God made me to be, that there are pieces and parts of me that I have to wrestle with and have to really fight and do battle with that says, I would rather not try and fail than try my hardest and fail anyway. This gets into some spiritual warfare stuff that I have to battle inside of me. Sometimes there are people who take the exact opposite approach. They just want to go all out there, right? Go hog wild and just believe that it's all going to happen. I know this, there's a line in one of the uh, 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 Star Wars movies where Han Solo says, don't tell me I can't do it until I've already done it, right? He, he, he wanted to know that there was that perfection that he expected of himself. And so when we think about this mindset, we bring it into the realm of the church, there's a reality that we think that the church is full of or only for perfect people. Be honest, you don't have to show your hands, but you know, have you ever thought that was the case? That the church was only for or is only full of perfect people? There are times quite regularly throughout the year when someone I might invite to come to church, they'll Let's say, well, I'm afraid that lightning will strike if I walk through the doors. It's, I've been in here hundreds, if not thousands of times, and it hadn't happened yet. So the reality is your chances, your odds are pretty good that you're going to be able to walk through the doors here and not get struck by lightning. I thought that was a lot funnier than you did, but that's okay, right? Humor, jokes, uh, they don't have to be perfect, right? They don't have to be perfect. The church is not full of perfect people. And it is not just for perfect people. I found this great quote that's on the screen. I want you to, uh, to read along with me. It says, The church is not a place where perfect people gather to say perfect things or have perfect thoughts or have perfect feelings. The church is a place where imperfect people gather to provide encouragement, support, and service to each other as we press on in our journey to return to our Heavenly Father. Hopefully, that is the experience that you have about coming to church here at Hope Church. We say, welcome home. 
We offer our mission statement, which is to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for him. We are doing so as we recognize that we are an imperfect people. And the thing that can be so hard for that, when people come and they, get, they put their best, or maybe they don't put their f- best foot forward, but the most challenging and sometimes debilitating thing that we can experience in the church is the church's imperfection. Can I get a witness? And I cannot tell you how many times I have offered this to someone who's had their heart and their body and their mind, their soul just obliterated by stuff that happens in the church. When I say, folks, we are an imperfect people called to do a perfect work. That only happens when we ask Christ to come and be at the heart and the center and the soul of who it is that we are and what it is that we are doing. Because otherwise, we would just be an optimist club or the Lions Club or Rotary Club or something along those lines, right? What makes us different is the fact that we invite our perfect God into the midst of our imperfection. And there, God says, is where I wanted to be all along. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful thing for us to consider. A beautiful thing for us to wrap our mind around and to weave into our lives. That our perfect God is calling every single one of us, you and me alike, with all of our imperfections, to do this perfect work of introducing people to Jesus and fueling their love for him. The church is not full of perfect people. It is full of imperfect people who embrace and acknowledge their imperfections in such a way to point our imperfect lives to our perfect God who loves us perfectly and seeks to make us whole and perfect in his sight. And so, as we consider this idea of imperfect people called to do an imperfect work, we realize that it comes with an invitation. Jesus wants us to come to him, not because we are perfect, but because we know we are perfectly imperfect. Right? Jesus wants us to come to him, not because we're perfect, but because we know we are perfectly imperfect. Throughout this series, I've said God does not wait for us to clean our room or to clean our plate or clean behind our ears before we are invited to come to him. He says, come to me and together we will clean up your life. Jesus is asking for people who recognize their perfect imperfections to come and to be a part of this miraculous work that he's doing where he is touching hearts and changing lives and preparing us for eternity. God used perfectly imperfect people throughout the scripture. That means God can use you, too. God used perfectly imperfect people throughout the Scripture. Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper. David had an affair. Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul took part in a murder. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossiper. Martha was a warrior. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was depressed. Moses stuttered. Zacchaeus was short. Abraham was old. And Lazarus was dead. And in every single instance, God used them. Imperfect people 
woven together for a perfect work. God uses imperfect people to help present his glorious imperfection. And it comes in the word that we know as redemption. The redemption of perfectly imperfect people points to and emphasizes God's miracle-working power. When we turn our lives over to God and say, God, use me however you will, wherever you want me to go, to do, to say, to be who you've created and called me to be, perfectly as imperfect as I am, use my life to help point other people to you. You could look through that list that I read out of some of the scoundrels of Scripture and realize that God used them to point people to Jesus. And not just to point people to Jesus, but to bring Jesus to earth. And so God wants to use your imperfections. Imperfect, perfect as imperfection as they are, God wants to use your life to do the same. I looked at that list and Maybe there's someone in here who is a cheater. Maybe there's someone in here who has a temper. Maybe there was someone in here who had an affair or drank too much last night or has run away from God. Someone who has taken another life. Someone who is insecure, even though God says to be secure. Someone who gossips. Someone who worries. Someone who doubts. Someone who's impatient. Someone who's battling depression. Someone who stutters. Someone who's short. Someone who's old. Someone who's dead. The last one's a little peculiar. But here is a truth that I do not want you to overlook. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Jesus came to help dead people live. And when I say dead, I mean spiritually dead, apart from God, wrapped up and consumed with the identities that in that list of cheating and temper and affair and all that other stuff, when in that list we get so wrapped up and wound up in our imperfections and our mistakes and everything that we've done wrong, the places where we've been we shouldn't have gone, the things that we said we shouldn't have said, the things that we've consumed that we shouldn't have consumed, We begin to wrap our identities up into that. But we recognize Jesus says, come and follow me. As perfectly imperfect as we are. That invitation where Jesus says, come and follow me. We are presented with a great example from the New Testament about someone who did just that. Matthew. Matthew, who was the one who penned the first gospel that we have in the New Testament. The story of Matthew is a very important one for us because Matthew was a tax collector. And if you were a tax collector, you were a special kind of hated in the time of Jesus. In fact, as you'll see in a moment when we go through the scripture, tax collectors, they got their own category of awfulness, their own unique individual category of despicable me-ness. Sorry, I'm about to channel my inner groove, right? But anyway, so we see this. And so maybe you can relate to Matthew, not per se as a tax collector, 
But maybe by filling in the blank with the list of things that we read before about cheating and having a temper and having an affair and getting drunk and running from God and murdering or being insecure, etc., etc., etc. So here, let's read the story of how Jesus called Matthew. From Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collection station. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and he followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came. Pick up on that. Tax collectors and sinners. My goodness, the worst of the worst. And they were sitting with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The word of God for God's people. Thanks be to God, amen. So Matthew was a tax collector. A special kind of reviled. Now why is that? Does anyone like paying taxes? Well, the way that it happened in the time of Jesus was that there were people who were given the position of collecting taxes for Rome. They were the tax collectors. And the way that they made their living was not by taking their cut from the taxes, but adding an additional, maybe we'd call it a convenience charge or a service fee above and beyond the taxes. And so if you were given a tax bill of, say, $10, a tax collector would say your bill is $110 because I got to get mine, right? So the government's going to get their 100 and then I'm going to get paid on top of it. And the people hated that because they came from their own ranks. They were seen as traitors. They were seen as particularly horrible and awful. And Jesus went to this tax collector and offered him an invitation. And said, follow me. How do you think Matthew probably felt when he went to sit down at that meal? I have a feeling if all of this was recorded, and Matthew probably didn't want to get into all the nitty-gritty details. Sorry. I have a feeling at one point, Matthew probably looked over at Jesus and said, everybody's looking at me. And not the kind of like, I wonder where he gets his hair done approach. And then Matthew might have also looked over at Jesus and said, they're all whispering. They're asking why I took $10 from that family and $8 from that family, but $15 from that family. Jesus, they're all talking about me. They're all looking at me. But Jesus' invitation Follow me, is what reigned supreme. Jesus is saying, essentially, I want to take your messes, I'm going to turn them into your message, right? Yes, people are looking at you. Yes, they're talking about you. It's an occupational hazard. It happens to all of us. The reality is it probably doesn't happen as much as you think it does, but we are all here in this together. Jesus, in this account, he got judged based on the company he was keeping. Did that jump out at you? 
So sometimes we ourselves may be prone to think that because so-and-so hangs out with so-and-so that they are so-and-so and so-and-so. We may be inclined to pass judgment on other people based on the company that they keep. Yet we can still hear that invitation to follow me. Jesus says, I don't desire sacrifice near as much as I desire mercy. Because I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinners. And if I'm going to call Matthew, who has his own special category of wretchedness, then you know what? I can use you too. That's essentially the call of Matthew and the lesson and the message that we can come and receive through it. In spite of how bad you may think you are and the bad things that you've done, the bad places that you've been, the bad things that you've consumed, the things that you've said or didn't say, Jesus says, yeah, there's room for that too when you follow me. Cheaters and sinners, yep. Angry people and sinners, well, yeah. Unfaithful people and sinners, mm -hmm. addicts and sinners, yes. People who run from God and sinners, mm -hmm. people who've taken a life and sinners, yep. Those who are insecure and sinners, sure. People who gossip. And sinners? Yeah, but don't go talking about it. Warriors? And sinners? Do you worry that's not a place for you? Doubters? And sinners? People who are impatient? And sinners? People who are anxious or depressed? And sinners? Mm-hmm. People who do not speak with the utmost of flamboyance or whatever. Yeah. You mean even short people who have no reason to live, as the song sang years ago? Mm -hmm. Them too. Old people? Absolutely. Dead people? Oh. Now we're talking. Because, as Jesus would say, my goal isn't to make bad people good, but spiritually dead people alive. And so Matthew, he put down his pen that was tallying taxes to write one of the most widely read books that portray the greatest story ever told. That millennia later, people who would come with our own category and sinners would read it to know that Jesus came for you and for me. And he is still in the business of calling sinners of whatever stripe and category alike so that we know that we have a place in the, in the kingdom of God. Friends, if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to know this. Jesus focuses on your potential, not your past. Jesus knows that you have the holiness of God in you when you have accepted him as Lord and Savior of your life. 
And he wants to use his Holy Spirit to weave your life into the network of lives that we know is the church and for the church to weave together with other communities of faith and believers to help bring the hope and the help of God to a lost and a weary world. And it starts with an invitation, follow me. You mean before I clean up my life? Yes, follow me. Before I clean my room? Yep, follow me. Before I wash behind my ears? Follow me. Follow me. And then once we decide to follow Jesus, then we must strive for perfection. Friends, in our Wesleyan heritage, this is one of the things that sets our theological perspective apart from other approaches of the ways that people look at Scripture and tradition and experience and reason. And this comes down to this idea of striving for perfection. Striving for perfection. The whole idea comes down to the idea of of love, right? Are we seeking to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And are we seeking to love our neighbor as we love ourselves? If that is our approach, if that is our priority, well, then God's glory is going forward. And you may say, but pastor, we can't achieve perfection. I know. And even John Wesley would say, the moment that you think you've, you found it, then you would realize how far you have to go. But that doesn't absolve us from continuing to strive perfection. Why? Because Jesus actually encouraged and maybe even commanded us to strive for this perfection. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, the last verse in the first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, we read Jesus say, be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now here as Jesus is talking about this, he's not mentioning that you're never going to stub your toe or bump into somebody or say something you shouldn't have said or fall back into old patterns or habits. But what he is saying is that when you turn your life over to Jesus and you make a mistake, and even in the midst of that mistake, then God can and will work wonders and miracles in your life. When you invite his strength and his perfection into your weakness and your imperfection. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10, and we'll begin to bring this plane down to the ground. The Apostle Paul is wrestling and struggling with his imperfection as perfect as they may be, and this is the reason why. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. All of us here this morning, every single soul in this room, We are perfectly imperfect, aren't we? And we may think with an inaccurate or incomplete picture that the world around us is full of perfect people and the church belongs to perfect people. Jesus says, no. I want you to strive for perfection. I want you to seek to do everything that you have to be that person that wraps your mind and your life and everything you say and do into the love of God that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's what Jesus wants from us. And when we do that, we realize, my goodness, how far do I have to go when we acknowledge that we are all perfectly imperfect people. But because of that, even though we are called to strive, 
what we see is that when we acknowledge our imperfections and we say, dear God, may my life be given to you and used by you for the sake of introducing people to Jesus and feeling their love for you. Take my weakness and infuse it with your strength and your power so that my imperfection may perfectly reveal who you are in my life and how you are calling me to use my life to point people back to you. We could go back through that list of all of the categories of scoundrels in the Scripture, and you may find one or two or ten that resonate with you. But what you also might find is that in these stories, God used their lives to work miracles and to help conquer sin and death. If he's done that through scoundrels like that, imagine what he can do with a scoundrel like you. And so, if you have felt or feared that you don't have what it takes to be used by God, hopefully a message like we have today where only perfect people are allowed, spelled incorrectly as it were, we're able to come and say, dear God, use me. Forgive me where I've fallen so short. Redeem me by the power of your son's blood and restore me back out into the world so that others may know of you. And so, the scripture tells us that when we are faithful to confess our sins before God, God is faithful to forgive us. And in that forgiveness comes redemption and restoration that our lives might be used to help God change the world. And so take now these next few minutes as the band comes and makes their way to the front to confess your shortfallings, your shortcomings, your imperfections, to give them over to God and watch him weld and meld them together with his perfection and his power to turn your weakness into a strength, not because of who you are or how much weight you can lift or how far you can walk or run, but because of who it is that lives and gives the life in and for you. That is God who brings the help, who is the help, and asks us to help him change the world. Amen? Pray with me, please. Living and loving God, forgive us in those times we think only perfect people are allowed, where the church is only full of perfect people. Lord, we maybe reflect upon that old bumper sticker or the t-shirt slogan that I'm not forgiven, I just, I'm sorry, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. But even in that we find in our perfect imperfections that you relish and cherish the times when we turn even our greatest shortcomings over to you, that they may become exclamation points in history of how you can turn even the, the worst life around and turn it into a shining example of how you meet us where we are, but you love us way too much to leave us there. You redeem us by the blood of Jesus and restore us for ministry in the world. So, Lord God, I pray that we may follow the example of Matthew to know for whom it was that you came to live and to die, that we may strive to be perfect in the way that we see our neighbors and we see you in our life in balance between the two. And we give over to you our weaknesses, as perfect as they may be, that you may send your perfect love and turn your, our imperfections into something that will help you change the world. So, Lord God, 
I pray to you this morning. I praise you for who you are and the work that you're doing in my life and in the life of the people in this room and the life of Hope Church. And I pray that we may commit our perfectly imperfect lives to you to help you do the perfect work of sharing your light and love with a weary world. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area, there you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.